good. Have all the kids started school? Yeah, all the underpaid. Okay. Underpaid and behind Gabe. Okay. Well, I'm going to give a talk on calmness. And Rhonda knows how uncalm I can be at times. So forgive me. But um, so I'll start in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So in our world where it's, it's very busy and we're going to and fro and it seems like there's no rest and there's so much turmoil outside the church and within the church and there's so much turmoil, I, I'm sure you all feel it and I feel it too, just a lot, a lot of un unsteadiness and lack of peace within. Um, especially with the school year starting and everything, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, with um, more rigorous schedules and maybe difficult to be calm when we're so busy. But hopefully this talk will help us, give us some tools to be able to deal with it and to be able to develop calmness in this very tumultuous world, in a very busy world. So the talk is based almost exclusively on Pope Shenouda's book on calmness. Um, you can You can stream it on YouTube if you want. You can download it for free online. If you just type in calmness, Pope Shenouda III PDF, you can read it for free. It's a wonderful book. But hopefully we'll just get some, some tidbits from his book and hopefully we can all benefit. So the objectives, so t first to know what, what is calmness, why it's important, and how to develop this virtue and to combat restlessness. So those are the objectives. So to know what it is, why it's important and how to develop this, this virtue. So Pope Shenouda defines calmness, um, like true calmness, as inner peace or a lack of agitation of heart and mind, um, which affects the other aspect uh, of the person. So there's, there's inner peace within the, in the core of the person, in the soul of the person, and that's manifested in the body language of the person, and that's, uh, that's manifested in the speech of the person. So he says, um, calmness of body is a, uh, is a stillness of senses and a calmness of movement. So when he talks about stillness of senses, he says, um, you know, it's very easy just to be sitting quietly, having nothing to do, and we just look around, and our eyes just lo are looking for something, anything to keep us the of curiosity, you know? And he says, this is a lack of stillness of the senses. And he says, um, you know, when, when a person is truly peaceful inside, a person will not, you know, have their eyes wandering back and forth in times of quietness, but they'll be content in God and their eyes won't be looking to and fro. And he says the same thing about, um, about, about listening too. So it's easy, I don't know if you guys ever have this, ever if this ever happens to you, but if I'm at the office and I hear a normal voice and then people start whispering and then, I, uh, and then I try harder to listen to what they're saying. I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen. I find myself doing that. And that is a manifestation of lack of calmness of senses, he says. So he, s he, says, he says that this is um, like uh, auditory adultery. Like you're trying to, to uh, be involved in something that, that's not related to you. And he says this is, a, this is a sign of lack of calmness of senses. Um, and that's a manifestation of you know, a lack of calmness within. 
Um, also, he, he says that um, calmness of speech is, is a manifestation of true calmness within. And he says, it's not, and I think we, we sort of know this, that you know, when, when somebody is calm, um, what they say is calm and how it is said is calm. If we, we, we may say the, the correct thing, but if it's not said in a, in a calm way, then that's not a, a, a real manifestation of true uh, inward calmness. Any questions so far? All right. So true calmness, he says, cannot be judged until it has been tested. So we're all parents here. So I think we've had all of our calmness tested to the max, like beyond, beyond our capacity. And we see that our calmness and our and uh, in, uh, in my you know in myself, I see my fuse is not as long as I would like it to be. Um, and so he says, true calmness cannot be judged until it has been tested. He says, uh, you know, f a false appearance of calmness may result from calm external conditions. So a person may be calm because may appear calm from out externally because their circumstances are favorable and they don't have children poking at them or creating an enormous mess. They don't have children dis being disobedient. They don't have problems at work. And so they may appear to be truly calm, but it's only because the external circumstances are calm. But really there may not be true calmness within. And that's only, that, can o that, that has to be tested. Um, and he says, it is only when one person clashes with another over a matter of opinion or behavior or after an insult befalls him that accord according to how he behaves can he be judged as calmness. So when there's tests, when there's a test, when our spouse challenges us in some way or a child challenges us in some way, um, that is a, that th the response of that person is the true test of what true if that person has true inward calmness. So why is calmness important? So he says calmness allows a person to become a deep person in God and can develop the gift of contemplation. So he makes this a very beautiful analogy from nature. He says when you look at the waves, the waves are very the superficial part of, of the water, right? And being a superficial person, it's very easy to be tossed to and fro by the winds of the world and by any challenge that, com that comes. And, um, but when, when we're a deep person in God, and we we have, we will we will be, like the bottom of the sea, which you don't have this tumultuous way you know tumultuous waves coming to and fro changing the, changing the, um, like the the water making it you know very very um, unsteady, but there'll be there'll be um, like stillness, in that, so he makes this analogy of why uh, uh, of calmness allowing depth um, and steadiness. And he says, um, no one who lives far from God can live in peace. He says his, troubled, his heart is troubled by the winds of desires and lusts until he comes to know God and experiences the sweetness of living with him. And this is, why, this is w one of the many reasons why the, the monks, when they take a they, with their vows of monasticism, they take a vow of chastity, poverty, and obedience. So chastity. So they're quite. They're 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 saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow any physical desire because I don't want this physical desire to allow me to lose my calmness and I want my my calmness to be 
in God, and I don't want that desire to unroot me, if that makes sense. And he says the same thing, w- and, I, and the same thing with um, with poverty. So when the monks take the, the vow of poverty, they're si- they're choosing to be poor. Why are they choosing to be poor? Because they don't want these desires, these materialistic desires, to cause uncalmness or lack of calmness within them that would draw, draw them away from God. And they don't want to be distracted. Um, and so uh, so these d- the desires and lusts can al- allow us to lose our calmness. And it's very easy, it's very easily seen all the time, you know, whenever we may feel, you know, we see something that somebody has, like some material object or something on the news and somebody has ac- attained this success. It's very easy to lose our calmness because of jealousy, for example, because we have a desire for this materialistic thing or this glory, and because of that lust or that desire, we may lose our calmness. And, um, and so that's what he says here. The next point, he says, calmness has a relationship with love to which it gives and from which it takes. So when the Lord created the, the world, Pope Judas says that when that the Lord created the universe in perfect calmness. He said, let there be this, and it was created in perfect calmness. And when he created Adam and Eve, he created Adam and Eve in love, in perfect calmness. And it's very difficult. I, I think it's very, I think we you can have this experience where it's very difficult. We feel it's very difficult to love somebody or to care for our spouse or to be, have, be selfless when we have when we're lacking calmness. But he says love and calmness are, are very interlinked. So the loving person is tranquil in his relationships with people. He does not react against them because he loves them. And this is a quote from the book. He says, in, in the calmness of a discussion that is suffused with love, people can come together in order to solve their problems, however much their views differ. But if calmness disappears, Love disappears with it, since love cannot exist alongside confusion and disorder, sharp voices and brusque behavior. So he goes on and says, the calm person solves his problems calmly and in difficult situations does not lose his calmness, but but behaves rationally and, and in a balanced way. And I think we all have kind of experienced the contrary, where we are not calm and we make a bad decision and then we look back when we're calm and we say why did I make such a poor decision I should have made I should have hauled off making that decision until I was calm um, I mean that could be as simple as a simple response to when somebody talks you know challenges us in some way or it may be you know an email that somebody sent us you know it sometimes it's better just to sit back and wait until we're calm so we can have a l- be, be a have a rational more level-headed mind before we respond um, because if we're if we're rash and if we're not calm we may behave in an irrational and an imbalanced way and this is a quote from saint augustine a very famous quote he says our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you and i think we, c- we can sort of see that like if if anyone goes to the monastery and we look at the monks and just their demeanor and their 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 peace and their calmness, we see that their hearts are not restless. But then when we go and when we walk outside and we look 
I, even if I look in the mirror or I just walk outside and look at s look at anybody, like at Starbucks or anywhere, it's very easy. We're hustling and bustling, and there's no calmness. And it's because it may be partly because um, we may not be, our hearts are not resting in God. So how to develop the virtue of calmness? So I, I ha we have eight kind of tidbits on how to do this. Um, so first, first thing is faith. A person can be calm by means of faith as long as he believes that God protects and directs the believer. And this is especially true when we have a health scare or there's some problem at work or there's some, some serious problem at home and we don't know, we've never had to trust God like in this, in this area. Like for example, if I'm having some health issue, I've never had health issue before, then it'd be very easy to lose calmness because I've never had to trust God in, in my health, for example, or in finance. If I've never had financial issues and then all of a sudden I have financial issues, it'd be very easy to lose calmness if I don't believe that God is protecting me and directing me. So faith is, is a crucial aspect in, in developing the virtue of calmness. And, he and the person with of faith says, I will never, uh, puts the, the words of the Lord before him, that the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay. Number two. Um, to develop the virtue of calmness, we have to love and desire calmness and value calm calmness. Calmness, he says. He said, if we don't value calmness, then we're probably going to value clamor and constant noise and excessive entertainment. And if, if we don't make it a priority and see the value in it and we don't invest in it and pursue it, then we won't develop the virtue of calmness, if that makes sense. So he says... Um, says we have to make conscious decisions to maintain and pursue calmness. And sometimes we, you know, if you ask a father of confession, you know, before like a big fast like Lent or the Holy Great Fast, and we say, okay, well, what should I do? Wh what should be my canon? And some of sometimes what the father of confession would say is don't, you know, watch, consume less media, have less entertainment or no, you know, or no entertainment during this time, partially because to develop this, this virtue of calmness, there are other reasons as well. But one of the reasons is to develop this virtue of calmness, to be able to be cognizant of God's presence and to contemplate on God's word and to grow near uh, to the Lord in this calmness. So we have to value the calmness and pursue it. Immerse yourself in the calmness of nature. So this may be kind of difficult because we live in the, the you know, cement jungle of Houston, and it's just very difficult to find calmness, you know, in the small amount of nature that's in the vicinity, it's in Houston and around Houston. But he says, um, nature being calm conveys its calmness to the spirit. Go to the park or a garden. He's uh, also visit the monastery could be very helpful. Not in, it'd be preferable not to be in huge, huge groups of like 50 people. And he actually mentions that in his book. He says he 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 says that uh, that if you go to the monastery, you should not go in big groups because if you're going in big groups, that actually negates a lot of the benefit of going to the monastery. I mean, we go to the monastery because this is a holy place, and we want to you know um, get some advice. But he says one of the but if we're going in a big group, we're losing a lot of the benefit um, of being able to be in a calm place. 
um, um, of the monastery. Oh, one thing he says too is, um, you know, with because we spend so much time, you know, on media and so much time on the phone and reading and, and consuming too much information, even if the information is not necessarily bad, like too much news, for example. He says this creates some agitation, like too much can create agitation within ourselves and we can lose our calmness if we, if, we if we consume too much media and too much news. And I think we can all feel that too, especially because the news gives us all these nightmare stories of how this person passed away in a freak accident and this, thing that this, this horrible thing happened. And then it may be easy to lose our peace if we're spending so much time looking at the news, for example, even though the you know, certainly the news is not sin in and of itself. And so because of that, because of constant agitation, because of constant consumption of information, when it's time to pray, we're not able to pray. Because we've, had, we've agitated ourselves so much, we've overstimulated we've overstimula ourselves to such an extent that when we come to pray, our minds are going in this direction and that direction and darting thoughts are going everywhere and then we cannot, we cannot even sit ourselves down to say our Father with a, with a you know, a clear uh, mind and a, and a heart of reverence and fear to God. So he says, don't be easily provoked. So this is really tough for parents, I think, because it's very easy for, I think it's very easy for us to be provoked because, you know, you all know the reasons why our children can, you know, wear us down and, you know, we can be easily, we can be provoked. But he says, he gives this advice, he says, try to accept everything calmly, no matter how troublesome it is. And this is certainly through the grace of the Holy Spirit as well. So do not be easily affected. And if you become upset, put a limit to it and try to calm yourself. Um, and we can use a Jesus prayer or recite, recite scripture. We'll discuss that later. And do you remember the story of St. Marina? So St. Marina, if I, if I recall correctly, so St. Marina, she was the person who, when she, uh, she went to the monastery, but she came dressed as a, as a man, and then she was accused of committing sin with this woman, and then the f I think her father, was it, I think it was her father said, or the grandfather of the baby said, oh, well, you're going to have, a soldier had committed the sin, but he was hiding his sin. And then the child's grandfather said, okay, you're this, you did this, you made this big mistake, now you're going to take care of the baby. And so she was cast out of the monastery and was responsible for this baby, and she accepted it um, great in, in great part because of this, this confidence, uh, this calmness, stemming from her confidence in God that God will work all things for the good of those who love him. And in the end, what ended up happening the boy that she was raising became a monk. He was he came to the Lord and he was saved. And she was uh, vindicated, not vindicated, but but they discovered after her departure what had happened, and many people glorified God because of the saints. So her so in her in her calmness of being um, not being easily provoked and accepting the w what she felt and she understood to be the will of God, um, God was glorified in this, and this is. Well, in large part because of her virtue of calmness and trusting God. 
number five, surrounding yourself with calm people. So if we surround ourselves with agitated, irrational people, then we will, they will rub off on us. And, uh, and, um, and, wha- and it says, you will absorb the faith and the calmness of your brother, of your faithful brother and sister. And that's why it's important for us to get together with our, with our brethren, with our Christian brethren, so we can encourage each other um, to be able to have, to encourage each other in this faith that will allow us to be strengthened by this faith and have calmness in the providence and love of God. Number six, humility. So in order to be calm, we have to be humble. We c- it's, it's very difficult. I don't know if it's possible to be a prideful person and be calm. Um, a, a, a prideful person, if, if anyone says anything that's not praiseworthy, that's not praise, they may become very defensive and be very angry and there's no calmness in them. Um, and that lack of calmness is brought forth by not only the lack of praise, uh, not only by a criticism, but by lack of praise. Like if someone does not praise the, per- the prideful person enough, then they may be downcast, they may, they may be, uh, have lack, lack of calmness because um, of that pride, because they didn't receive the amount of praise that they wanted. They may have received a small amount of praise, but they wanted more praise. And so, in order for us to be to have this calmness, we really need to ask for humility and ask God for hu- and and to humble ourselves. So, what are some ways that we can humble ourselves? I'm gonna go into that question. What are some ways we can humble ourselves? Because we talk about humility all the time in tr- in the church, and how the Lord is humble. So, how can we humble ourselves? Remembering our own sins. Remembering our own sins, yes. Keeping in mind that we're not better than anyone else, like, like, it it does humble us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, anything else? Remembering our weakness, our sins. Fasting will allow us to humble ourselves because we're withholding something that we desire and in that we c- we're humbling ourselves we're saying you know my will is this but I'm submitting myself to the will of God and the guidance of the church and that I'm fasting what about service service could that humble us in any way well to be a servant means you're not a master that's true that's true, and there's a lot there's there's submission there, mm-hmm. yes. What about remembering God's patience with us? So when we remembering our sins is one aspect, but seeing that that God is so incredibly patient with us, it's very humbling. Mm-hmm. It's very humbling, and also remembering that that our life on earth is very 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 short, and seeing that, you know, I'll th- I mean. 
oftentimes we see a priest who says, if somebody gives, you know, a priest a compliment, the priest would say, sometimes would say under their breath, like they would grab their themselves, like their shirt or their, you know, tunic, and they would say, like, I'm dust. Like remembering that we're that our life on sh on earth is very short, and um, and you know that we're dust. It's very humbling because it it's 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 a fact. It's true, and when we say humbling, how is humbling different than um, making disparaging comments about ourselves? Because humility is a really a crucial aspect to calmness. Because if we're not humble, we're not going to seek God. If we're not going to seek God and we're not in him, then we're not going to be calm. So humility is a really crucial aspect in our, in our Christian life. That's sort of where it starts. Um, you know, following baptism and confirmation. question is, um, what is the difference between humility and making disparaging comments about myself? So humility is acknowledging the truth. Humility is acknowledging the truth. Apart from God, I can do nothing. I'm a sinner. I'm incredibly weak. Those are all truth. Those are all true statements. But making a disparaging comment is saying that, oh, I'm, such a I'm so terrible, and there's an element of despair with that. There's a lack of hope in that, and it's to such a point to where even a person who, who makes disparaging comments about themselves, if God does something good in them, they can't acknowledge that God is doing something good in them. But a humble person can acknowledge that God is doing something good in them and they give glory to God. And if a, and a, a disparaging, if a person who, dis who makes disparaging comments about themselves, who sees themselves, who belittles themselves, they, they can't, they, all, they cannot even identify that God is, can do something through them. So it's almost like a lack of faith that God can use them and they, they almost hate themselves. And so there's a very critical difference between, you know, making negative comments about ourselves and humility. Okay. Don't suppose that other people are perfect or ideal. So this is, this is a really big one for me. Because I don't know if you guys, whenever you're driving and you let somebody, into the, let somebody in in front of you, like you're driving and you're in traffic or whatever, and you let somebody in in front of you, and you're expecting this huge wave, and then a huge wave never comes, and then I, then I lose my peace. So how can this person, I mean, I let you in, man. Why can't you please just give me a wave, really? Seriously? Or, I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way. Or, if you open the door for somebody, like you're walking in, and you let somebody ahead of you. Like you open the door, and you let somebody in ahead of you, and they don't say thank you or anything. They're just it's as if like you're just like the bellhop and this is your job, right? And they don't respond at all. And then it's very easy to say, oh, you couldn't even say hi, thank you, like not even look at me, you just walk in, like waltz in, like you own the place. Maybe this is because I'm expecting the other person would be um, perfect or ideal. And maybe that's not a, a 
that's not a great expectation to have. And that and in it and that's not a re that's not true because we're all fond people, we all have weaknesses, and we should have realistic expectations for each other. Um, and that's true not only with people, you know, in society, but that's also true with our spouse and our children. That we shouldn't suppose that other people are perfect or ideal, but we're we're all human beings with weak with uh, weaknesses. All right. So if we if we lower expectations to something that's more realistic, then we'll be we'll be able to maintain our calmness because our expectations are lower. If that makes sense. So that'll help us. That'll protect us against um, you know losing our calmness. The last one. So this one is very, 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 very important. So when we talk about prayer, we talk about prayer very often in the church. So I don't know if you guys, I'm sure some of us know about the Jesus prayer. Um, so there's many formulations of it. So the long form is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay. Or the short one, the shortest, could be just you could just say Jesus or Lord Jesus. So this is a prayer that is very that could be very very helpful in developing calmness because if something bad has happened if something you know i'm just thinking about my my day-to-day -day struggle day-to-day -day struggle i'm on highway 290 bumper to bumper traffic it's like 3:45, 4 o'clock and i have two hangry children in the back screaming and i have endless traffic in front of me and I feel surrounded on all sides by opposition. <laughs> um, the Jesus prayer can help very much because it will it will direct our it can help us direct our minds to God and to His provision and His love. And it's not so long to where we we lo pay, we lose our attention because if we have a long prayer, it's very easy to kind of lose our attention, right? You know, like okay. Let us give thanks to the beneficent. It's a great, a beautiful prayer, but it's kind of hard to say. It may be hard to say that, you know, in the day when kids are screaming and there's chaos. Because it just, it, our attention span may be very short because of what's going on around us. But the Jesus prayer is very short and you can repeat it. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can just say it over and over again. And as we say it with our mouth, our heart will follow what our mouth is saying. And even just saying it with our mouth, like if, if we say it internally, it's very easy to get distracted. But if we just start with our mouth and just say it with our mouth, because of that movement of our mouth, it'll help us stay on task of what we're praying, if that makes sense. So using the Jesus prayer is very powerful to be able to develop um, this, this virtue of calmness, especially in times when Things are chaotic, and my, you know, I'm start. I feel like I'm starting to lose uh, calmness. So we read, and this is just a contemplation from. So this this slide is from me. I apologize, but I, it's not from Pope Juno's book, but I just thought it was something that I, that helps me very a lot personally. So this this verse from Malachi three. This first part is very famous. Um, it says, "Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way for me." This is a prophecy about Christ and John the Baptist. It's quoted. It's very famous. It's quoted by um, um, the gospel writers. But this, this last part of this verse is less well known. 
It says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So this, this literally happened. This is a prophecy. It literally happened. Christ came into the temple, you know, on it, you know, during his time on earth, correct? Um, and during the time of John the Baptist. But, when we, but just a personal contemplation that was very helpful for me is when we remember that, the, that my heart is the temple of God and, and my body is the temple of God. When we, look at that, when we look at the temple through this verse, like we can read the verse again. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So when we pray any small prayer like the Jesus prayer, and we, we just seek God, he'll he will come and make his abode in us. And it's a very powerful, um, encouraging thing to make us want to pray this prayer. And to make us any small prayer. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. It's, a very it's, it's my own personal contemplation, forgive me. But I found it to be very helpful when I feel like I'm at my wit's end in terms of you know, being losing my composure and losing calmness. When I remember this verse, it makes you want to pray the Jesus prayer because I know the Lord answers and he will come suddenly to help me. Um, also, praying the, the, the Jesus prayer, so when we say... Um, when we say, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, so Kyrie is Lord, and then have mercy is eleison, okay. So this is something that, 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 well, may ha that has helped me personally apply this prayer in two ways. So when you say, Lord have mercy, Kyrie eleison, or Lord Jesus have mercy, so, when, so interesting, so eleison in Greek is oil, okay. So we say eleison, Greek and Coptic are very similar. Um, so when you say alayon, alayon is Greek and uh, is oil in Greek. Okay. So some things, some contemplations of this word, and seeing that alayson and alayon are very similar. So it's almost as if like they're, they're, there's a the very same root. Alayon and alayson are very similar. So when we talk about oil in the scripture, or an olive tree, olive oil, olive tree, we we think about two things. So we think about um, the olive branch in the story of Noah. So the dove came after all of the ordeal, the nine, month, nine or 12 month ordeal of, of Noah having to go through all of this with his family and being on the boat for so many months. And finally the dove came, or the dove came with the olive branch and this is a symbol of God's wrath, the end of God's wrath. So when we pray, so it adds an element of ri depth and richness when you pray, Lord have mercy is, Lord, please end your wrath and forgive me. And I want to see the light of your hope that you've given me, just like Noah did. And seeing that olive branch in the dove's mouth. Also, on, on a more positive way, or even more positive way, which it, it, that's positive. It says oil, oil is used as like a form of medicine um, in ancient days. So when we say, Lord, have mercy, we could, we could mean it in a way to say, Lord, heal me. And that's been very, personally, that's been very helpful. When I pray, Lord, have mercy, I prayed in these with these two in mind. Lord, please remove your wrath from me and forgive me and heal me. And depending on what we, what we think we may, depending on you know, the situation, if, like for example, if we feel like we're falling into pride or I'm being judgmental, I can pray the prayer in the first way, 
saying, God, please remove your mask from me because I'm such a prideful person. Please forgive me. Or if I feel like a broken person and I'm so weak and I feel that I, I'm li- I feel um, like I'm despairing because of my weakness, then we could say, Lord, have mercy in a way insinuating that God, please heal me. Bring the oil that would heal me, that I would be healed. So these are just some ways in which, personally, that have, that have helped me a little bit, but obviously it's a big, huge work in progress. Um, does anyone have any questions or comments? Can I call my attorney? Um. <laughs> Anger could also be a virtue in certain circumstances as well. So how do you relate calmness and anger at the same time? Because Jesus was angry and there's certain... So it depends on, it depends on the wreath. Well, there are several aspects. So first, why are we angry? So that's one aspect. Because anger can be for a good reason or a bad reason. Anger is a good thing. Well, most it depends on the church fathers, yes. But anger is a good thing. In certain situations, anger is a good thing. But oftentimes we see the negative of it. The devil in our weakness twists it to be negative, so we only see the negative of it. But when we see anger to sin, when we hate sin, that is a virtue. Hating sin is a virtue. Christ, he was angry, but that was not. But that was for first for a good reason. And secondly, it's not, it's, it, there wasn't a lack of self-control in that anger. When we lose our anger, when we are angry, it's, very, we're, it's either for the wrong reason, because I'm prideful, or I'm not patient enough, or any other number of reasons, or it's because, so the reason is wrong, and it may be manifested in the wrong way. So there are several aspects to righteous anger versus ungod- ungodly anger. It's like, why, what's the reason? Um, and uh, how is it manifested, and is it through the, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, really? Because um, we see, I mean, oftentimes in the Old Testament, we say God is angry, but he's angry against sin. So it really depends on those factors. I'm not sure if there are any other factors. I'm sure there are other factors. Like whatever related to God, like... Uh, when he gets jealous about his house of God, that's mm. that's the only like good reason to be mm. anger. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can control your temper anyway mm-hmm. to the virtue of calmness. Mm-hmm. But if it's jealousy about God, that's I think that's like maybe acce- acceptable mm-hmm. to be angry. Because mm-hmm. when God, like you said, when God is angry because of like the jealousy, I mean that's li- that's an anthropomorphism that like. That's a way for us to understand God, but that's not the perfect word to describe what is going on. Does that make sense? Like we, we apply that term because we can understand that term, but we don't fully. Th- that it's a weak term. It's a weak word. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, and the thing is, the je- when you say jealous, like when you say jealousy, these are his people. These are the ones he's created. These are the ones he's redeeming. They're rightfully his people. Um. Pronounce it like 
غيرتي على بيتك اكلتني جيلسي اون اوف يور هاوس از ايتينج ماي هارت And the thing is too, I mean, we would think it's strange. Okay, let's let's think about like follow that. Let's think about like a situation. If some, if there was some marital infidelity, and the person and the other person who is who was on the other side, or you know, the other per a person found out that their spouse was unfaithful or something, it would be it would be problematic if the person was not angry. Because this is this is a relationship that, that is sanctified by the church. It would be incorrect. It would be strange. It would be wrong if the person was not angry. But how do they manifest it? And there could be multiple reasons why they're angry. There could be part of the reason is because spouse and the good reason, but it could also be bad reasons why they might be angry and they'd be mingled in the person. So that we, we would think it's strange if the person wasn't angry. And so it should we, would we should think it's strange if... God is not jealous over Satan tempting his people and his people falling falling away. Any questions or comments? So just quickly, how to develop virtues of, of calmness. Faith, we can ask God to increase our faith. Two, pursue calmness. Don't be on our phones too much. Don't seek too much media. Don't seek too much news. Oh, on this point too. Quick, sorry. Sometimes it's very easy. I've noticed it personally. I'm just like being very vulnerable. Personally within myself, at the end of a long day, thank God the finally kids are in bed. And then I say, okay, I'm just going to sit and watch TV. That might make us, allow us to rest in a certain, to in a very small amount to a certain degree. But beyond a, a small amount, it'll lead to more restlessness because it's just more media more stimulation and the screen will not lead the sc screen will not bring me the calmness if that makes sense but it's very easy to to do that um to go to that you know kind of extreme immerse yourself in calmness of nature don't be easily provoked surround yourself with calm people humble ourselves don't suppose other people are perfect or ideal and then using small prayers okay let's pray In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, thank you for allowing us, your unworthy people, to come to your house. Thank you for bringing us to this hour. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to us to empower us and guide us and comfort us and strengthen us. Thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to see our weaknesses and help us to see our weaknesses more and more that we might rely on you more and more. Please, O oh Lord, help us to um, foster this virtue of calmness, that we might grow closer to you and we might be empowered by you from within. 
Through the intercession of St. Mary, the Mother of God, St. Paul, and all your saints, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.